All right, that's still one of my favorite parts. Today we're going to be reading from the first letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. I appreciated Ronnie uh, bringing Corinthians to our mind as we uh, address the Lord's Supper. Uh, I think that fits in well to what Paul has to say. Uh, We're going to read the beginning, uh, the first things that he has to say to this church. Let's be standing, please, as we hear this, the Word of God, not only to Corinth, but also to us. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, in all your speaking and in all your knowledge, Because our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God, who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, is faithful. May God bless the reading of his word. I'm concerned we can sing that song every Sunday, okay? Love that song. Paul had deep ties and personal connections with the church in Corinth. Many of you know the story of the founding of the church of Corinth. Uh, It's found in Acts chapter 18. Paul had just left Athens And you might know that story as well. Athens, there, the center of learning for the ancient world. And Paul had been invited to come and speak before the great philosophers of his day and had received a rather lukewarm, at best, reception. Paul was all alone. He normally traveled with a group of missionaries, but he had sent that group, including Timothy and Silas, back to Thessalonica where they had worked earlier because the church there was in need of help and was struggling along. And so Paul was traveling alone and dealing with all the things that were happening in life and came to this town of Corinth. Don't know if he'd ever been there before. Certainly we don't think he had been there as a missionary before. Probably everything was rather strange. And he did what good godly people do when it came to be the Sabbath, he went to church. Uh, Well, he went to the synagogue probably. And there's where he met, we suppose, a couple that he had a lot in common with, Priscilla and Aquila. Now, Priscilla and Aquila were new to Corinth as well. They had gotten kicked out of Rome because they were Jewish And the Roman government on several occasions would clear all the Jewish people out of Rome. It was a government way of of, uh, handling crises. You know, our government has ways of handling crises to put the blame on everybody else. Well, the the government, when something bad happened, oftentimes they had blamed the Jewish residents of Rome. 
uh, primarily because the Jewish residents would not go to the pagan temples and pray. And when something bad happened, whether they lost a battle or if some kind of economic crisis arose or some kind of natural disaster, well, obviously it was because not everybody had been going to the temple to pray to the God who was supposed to prevent that from happening. So they would blame the Jewish people, tell them they had to get out of Rome. Then after a while, things would settle and they'd come back. But anyway, Aquila and Priscilla were living in Corinth at the time. And Paul met them maybe at the synagogue. And they found that they had much in common. For one thing, they were Jewish, like Paul. And also they had become Christians, like Paul. And then they had one other tie. I think many of you know what that was, don't you? They had been trained in the same basic trade together. Back then, the Jewish people made sure that their children knew how to do something with their hands. Because if if everything else failed, they could open up some kind of business and generate some kind of income in what they did with their hands. Well, Paul was a great scholar. He had been trained. He had his Ph.D. He was trained to be a teacher and a scholar. And yet he had also been trained to be a leather worker or a tent maker and found out that Priscilla and Aquila had that same trade. So they went into business together, APMP tents. And there they worked together. I, I can imagine them sitting there together making these tents and talking about their lives and talking about their faith. Well, every time the Sabbath came along, They would go to the Jewish synagogue because they were still, although they were Christians, they were still Jewish as well, and they would worship, but they would also take that opportunity to talk to their their brothers and sisters or Jewish brothers and sisters about Jesus, how Jesus is the Messiah. He is the promised one that God all through the history of Israel had promised that he would send to them, and here he is, and look what he has done. They would teach them about the crucifixion and the resurrection. And obviously, they were fairly successful in winning people to their point of view. They had many converts. One of their converts was the ruler of the synagogue. Well, some of the folks that didn't buy into this idea of Jesus got upset, and they finally forced Paul and Priscilla and Aquila to abandon the synagogue, to no longer come But they just moved next door to a house where a Gentile believer lived, Titius Justus. And there they continued their teaching, and people continued to come, and the church in Corinth grew, and the church in Corinth flourished. Paul, while he was there, saw a vision. God came to him and said, don't be afraid, keep on teaching, and made a marvelous statement. He said, I have many people in this city. While he was there, Paul made a vow. We don't know exactly what the vow was, but he evidently was working so hard that he had made a strong commitment and made a vow to God and worked under that vow while he was in Corinth. So you can see that Corinth was a special place to him. He stayed there for 18 months, which for Paul was a lengthy time in any one town. He knew these people well, and he loved them deeply. Paul had deep, deep ties to this church. And the church had done some wonderful things. And the church was made up of some wonderful people. But the church had problems. 
the church was really kind of a mess. A couple of years later, when Paul was living in Ephesus, he heard about all the things going on in the church in Corinth. And things he heard about were things like that they had divided into little groups that weren't really talking to each other except to scream at each other. He heard about how some of the people there had decided that they had outgrown the rest of them, that they were more spiritual than they were, and so they had to go off and worship by themselves, and they couldn't associate with the people who weren't quite as spiritual as they were. There were rich and poor divisions in the church. The rich people got upset because they would bring all the food to the uh, common meal that they would have, and those poor people showed up, and they didn't bring anything, and they still got to eat. Some of the members were suing other members in the pagan courts of law. There was sexual immorality within the church that had become public and people knew about it and they weren't doing anything about it. In fact, they seemed to be kind of proud that they had kind of risen above that kind of thing and weren't that picky anymore. Some people, as uh, talking about the Lord's Supper, uh, not only were they treating it like a common meal, but some of the people would come and get drunk during the Lord's Supper. Can you imagine going to a church where they drank so much wine at the Lord's Supper that some of the people were actually drunk? Some people were denying the possibility of the resurrection, and some of the people in Corinth decided that Paul wasn't really even an apostle, and they shouldn't even listen to him anymore. So now Paul's writing them a letter, and the church was in a mess. What would you expect that letter to be? Don't you expect that letter to be, what's wrong with you guys? You're not a church. You're a bunch of heathens. I just wash my hands of you, forget it. No. Not what he said at all. Oh, he is going to deal with the problems in a loving and kind way. But think about who these people were and all the things going on in their church and listen to what Paul says to them. Dear friends, you are sanctified. In fact, you are saints. Within you dwells the grace of God. And you have been enriched in speech and knowledge of every kind. In fact, your church has every spiritual gift it could ever need. And God is working in you and with you. He is strengthening you so that whenever you stand together before the throne of judgment on that last day, God will say that you are blameless and you continue to live within the fellowship of Jesus. What? <laughs> Is Paul in denial? Can't Paul see what's going on in that church? Oh, Paul could see what was going on in that church. But when Paul looked at a church, he saw it with different eyes. Because when he looked at a church, he did not just see the people in their frailties and their struggles. Anytime Paul looked at a church, 
he saw Jesus Christ. If he thought about the church in Corinth, it was Jesus who was on his mind. Now we know that for a fact because as he begins writing these, this opening to this letter, we've divided it into nine verses. How many times do you think he mentions Jesus Christ in his nine verses? In his nine verses, how many times do you think he might mention Jesus Christ? There's a hint there. Nine times, right? In fact, as you read it, and I tried to emphasize it in my reading without maybe you knowing exactly, it's just Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. It is Jesus who sanctifies them. It is Jesus who has called Paul to be an apostle. It is Jesus who has called them to be saints. It is Jesus who grants them grace and peace. It is Jesus who gives them wise speech and knowledge. It is Jesus who gives them all the spiritual gifts that they could possibly need. And it is Jesus who continues to embrace them in fellowship. When Paul looks at the Corinthian church, but they're no different. When Paul looks at the Ephesian church, when he looks at the Philippian church, when he looks at the Thessalonian church, He doesn't just see the people. It's Jesus that he sees. And it's Jesus that's on his heart and in his mind. Let me me read something he wrote about the church to the Ephesians. He said, Christ loves his church. In fact, he loves it so much, he died for it. He gave up himself for her. In order to make her holy, by cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. And his goal is to present the church to himself in splendor, without a spot or wrinkle or anything of the kind. Yes, his heart's desire is that his church may be holy and without blemish. So when Paul looked at the people with all their problems... First of all, he saw Jesus. When he looked at the church as it was struggling along, he saw that it was the body of Christ. And whenever he looked at the church as they dealt with one another, he could see walking amongst their midst his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because Jesus loves his church, Because Paul loves Jesus, then Paul loves the church in Corinth. The Johnson Street Church has a wonderful heritage. Do you all know much about the history of this church, when it began? And I know some of you old-timers do. Not that anyone here can remember back to its beginning. Although I used to know a lady who could, Maud Lowry could remember back to its beginning, but she has since passed away because this church really began in about 1888. Began when San Angelo was a rather wild west town, uh, known more for its saloons and bars than anything else. And a family moved here, the Pringles, W.A. Pringle. He and his wife moved here and And Mrs. Pringle was a Christian, and she was a member of Churches of Christ. And she really couldn't find a Church of Christ that she would go and worship with. So she wrote a little note 
to the firm foundation. Oh, nobody knows. No one remembers. Yeah, we got some folks that remember the firm foundation. Used to, if you were a real Christian, the firm foundation came to your house every week. It was a publication out of Austin. Now, that's if you lived in Texas. If you lived in Tennessee, you got the gospel advocate. But it was a wonderful means of communication, especially back before radio, TV, internet, all those things that we stay in touch with now. But uh, it, it came out, and, and she put a note in there. She said, I live in San Angelo, Texas. Are there any other members of Churches of Christ in the San Angelo area so we can get together and worship together? And she surfaced a few. We don't know just how many. And they began meeting together and worshiping together. Well, about 1900, they decided that they wanted to have a gospel meeting to reach out to other residents in this area. So they brought in a preacher by the name of Andrew Jackson McCarty. And he came and they held a gospel meeting at the old courthouse. They had some success. They had some baptisms. The church grew a little. They were encouraged. They brought him back in 1901. And once again, they held a gospel meeting and they had some more baptisms and some more people became a part of that church. Well, McCarty said, you know what you guys need to do is you need to buy some property and get you a place where you can meet together. So they found an old house on the corner of Harris and Irving Street. Now, if you go to Harris and Irving today, what are you going to find? The jail, that's right. But that was the original property of this church. In 1903, they invited, in my opinion, one of the greatest gospel preachers of all times to come and hold a protracted gospel meeting. That meant it was going to last a long time. Lasted for three months. T.B. Larimore came and preached in this area and really sowed the seeds. T.B. Larimore was a great preacher of grace and peace within the church. He, uh, his ministry happened during a time when Churches of Christ and the Christian church, who had been a part of the same group, had begun to splinter and, and go separate ways. And Larimore was a voice of peace and reason within that time of argument. And, and, and for one thing, I think that's why this church has the character that it has today, is from that basic preaching that T.B. Larimore brought to this church. Well, they were very successful, had many baptisms, and they began to expand uh, and build a, a proper place of worship there and, and continued to meet there until the early 1960s when we had a, a young whippersnapper preacher here named Stanley Lockhart. And uh, Oh, there he is back there. Hi, Stanley. <laughs> and uh, the church decided then that, that it had outgrown uh, that part, there wasn't enough parking, they didn't have enough land to expand the facility, and they came out here in 1963 and built this timeless facility uh, that is still beautiful today, even though it's over 50 years old. And uh, this church has had a marvelous, marvelous witness and ministry within this town. Uh, did any of you uh, see, by the way, an article by Richard Hughes about G.B. Wojcik in the paper uh, a few weeks ago. Did anybody read that? Yeah, it's nice to have something worth reading in the paper, right? And it was a, a wonderful article that Richard Hughes, Richard Hughes is a church historian who grew up in this congregation. 
And uh, he, he wrote a wonderful article about G.B. Wojcik and his, communi- his, his contributions to this community and education, but he also mentioned this church and what a wonderful influence that it had had as well and interviewed uh, G.B.'s son, Bruce, who was with us not too long ago. I, I, I know Richard, I wrote him an email and thanked him for the article, and he wrote back and he said, you will never know what the Johnson Street Church did in my life. And he especially mentioned Stanley and the influence that he had in his growth in faith in Christ. I don't know how many times that story could be duplicated because this church has been faithful in its ministry for over a hundred years, has reached out into this community in so many ways. Shortly after coming here, it started the campus ministry. Most of our campus kids are off on a, a, a Z2 convergence, whatever that is. I would call it a retreat, but I guess that's, anyway, they're, they're gone this Sunday. Um, many of them are with Doug and his family to that uh, uh, gathering. Uh, but this church has been faithful in its ministry to university students. And university students have come through Angelo State and through the, the campus center and have gone off to have their effect throughout all of the, the world. This church has been faithful, and in, 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 it was one of the first churches of Christ to have an organized youth ministry. Do you guys know that? You guys have a great legacy here. It's been carried on so well by, by Kevin. It's one of the first churches to realize that we needed to, to really focus on the young people of the community. And so it stepped forward and did that. Built Christian Village on the other end of the spectrum for people who, who get to the, the, the latter years of their lives and, and for various reasons they don't really have the resources to live in a good, clean, nice place. And there it is. There it is for them so that they can be ministered to and blessed in those years. Rust Street Ministries, in my opinion, is the most effective, organized effort to benefit the poor that this community has ever seen. Yeah. And it came out of the heart of this church. Now, you may think I'm just bragging. It's just fact. Come on. I mean, these things are good. And I love this church. I love it on a a personal level as well. It is and continues to be a wonderful family of faith. But... We've got problems, too. Now, I know we've got guests today, and I don't want to air our dirty laundry. But we just want to be honest as well, that we're not all that we can be. I oftentimes talk to, I say often, I talk to some folks who come and get to know us a little bit, and they're very quick to point out some of the things about this church they don't like. They don't like the way we do this. They don't like the way we do that. We can be one of the most friendly churches, or we can be very unfriendly as well, because those of us who have been here a long time, we've got such deep relationships here, and we have people who are truly brothers and sisters, and we kind of get in our group, and we huddle up close together and hug on each other, and for new people coming in, it's like running into concrete walls, you know? I've had people say, how do we get into this place? It looks like y'all are having a great time. Why can't I be a part of it? Well, that's a problem. And as much as we have love and and peace in this church, we've actually got some folks in this church that don't like other people in this church. 
I've even heard some of that. I've heard different criticisms and snipings, you know, and things like that about someone and not liking the way they are, not liking what they do, and, and all of those things. We've got, pe- we've got trouble with some commitment on some people's part here. We've got folks that'll be here and then they're not, and then they're here and then they're not. And we try to get together and do something we feel like is significant and, and they're not here. And so, you know, it's just like in and out and in and out. We've got people here that have addictions, you know, we've got people here that really struggle with physical, spiritual, emotional addictions, and, and they don't like that about themselves, and they're trying hard to get out of it, but so oftentimes they're right back in the middle of it all. We've got people here with uh, problems, uh, moral problems, that they engage in immoral things and thoughts on a regular basis, and they struggle with those, and yet they sit here right here with us. If we're to take an honest view of this church, we realize, too, that sometimes we're just satisfied to be a nice church. You know, isn't it wonderful? Got a pretty building. We all love each other. We're doing good. When there's so much more that we could be and so many more places we could go if we had a bigger vision and could see where that is. So I wonder, if Paul came here and visited for a while... And then went off and wrote a letter about back to us. What would his opinion of this church be? What would he write to us and say, here's some things you guys need to think about? Well, I can tell you what he would say. I don't have to wonder at all. Because he said it too many times. If Paul spent some time with us and really got to know us well, here's what he would say. Dear Johnson Street, you are sanctified. You are saints. The grace of God lives within you. You have been enriched in speech and knowledge of every kind. Within you, Johnson Street, is every spiritual gift that a church could ever need. God is strengthening you. And working with you so that one day when you stand before that judgment throne, he will declare you as blameless. And you live together within the fellowship of Jesus Christ. Because just like every church that Paul had anything to do with, when he sees a church, he sees Jesus. Even with its messes even with its struggles, even with the things that we want to change. Oh, Paul wants those things to change too. But he wants us first of all and foremost to know that the church is the body of Christ, that Jesus loves his church, and Jesus died for his church, and that Jesus works within the hearts of his church. And that is why even in 2014, church is still relevant and church is still meaningful. Because when we look at church, we see our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. May God bless us with eyes to see him as we come together and as he goes with us to go into this community. May God bless us with hearts to love him and to love his body. And may God bless us with the understanding that we are sanctified 
and called to be saints. And may we together say, Amen. Let's stand and sing.